Hello, and welcome to Unbabbled, a podcast that navigates the world of special education, communication delays, and learning differences. We are your hosts, Stephanie Landis and Meredith Crimmel, and we're certified speech-language pathologists who spend our days at the Parish School in Houston, helping children find their voices and connect with the world around them. In this episode, we chat with Mr. Chaz, a parenting and teacher coach, about positive behavior approaches at home and in the classroom. Mr. Chaz is an early childhood educator, educational specialist, and parenting coach. He began his career teaching in a Montessori classroom and has gone on to earn his master's in executive leadership at American University. Mr. Chaz works with schools, teachers, and families to support a learning environment that is based on respect and empathy through a conscious parenting and discipline approach. In this episode, Mr. Chaz discusses his three-step approach of see, guide, and trust by walking us through each step. He also touches on the importance of understanding our own parenting self-judgments and background to best support our children and students. This episode is bursting with insightful information and simple actions you can take now to parent more consciously. If you enjoy this episode, you can find even more from Mr. Chaz on his Instagram account, podcast, and Patreon page. We have links to those in our show notes. Welcome. We are so very excited to talk to you, Mr. Chaz, today. Mr. Chaz is an amazing early childhood educator and supporter of parents and taking the Instagram and internet world by storm by helping parents support their kids at home. So welcome. We're really excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here and to talk to your audience and hopefully help some people out there. Yeah. So will you give the parents just a little bit of your perspective on supporting children both in the classroom and at home? Because you have kind of a unique perspective. Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of break it down to three parts and kind of like my approach and my kind of help people think about and see, guide, trust. And the idea is that we have to, a lot of times we try to guide people children, educators, without first really seeing them and understanding them or or even attempting to see them or, or understand them and understand the situation and kind of their perspective of things, how they're seeing the world. So, you know, I say before you start to guide, try to see first, try to understand, step into curiosity, uh, avoid judgment, because that's another thing that we have a tendency to do, to judge quickly, to judge, and then like say, this is what you need to do, this is what you have to do, and the person's feeling like, well, that's not even like the problem that I feel like I'm dealing with, and so we're not even communicating on the same level right now, Um, and I feel disconnected and unseen, and what happens, it's like, the way the visual I kind of want you to think about is like, it's like being in a dark room and we're trying to guide people without first turning on the light switch and so that we can see them, right? And when a person feels seen, not only are we able to reach our hand out to them and not just in a general direction, but they're also way more willing to extend their hand back towards us and be guided by us. Uh, so not only does it make us, help us better guide, it helps the person being guided uh, want to be guided, which is really important when you're on a journey together, especially one with so many obstacles as is teaching, as is parenthood, especially in today's times where obstacles are changing and getting thrown at you and 
and, and children are being impacted, adults are being impacted. So it's really more important to really take that time to step into curiosity and really see people before you, you know, attempt to guide. And then as you're guiding, you know, we we're talking a little earlier about, you know, conscious discipline. I'm a really something I, I very much encourage parents and teachers to learn more about and the seven skills to, you know, it's mostly about the seven skills of self-control of how you can, you know, uh, navigate your own kind of stuff um, so that you, you can be really helpful to children and, and really just other people um, in different challenging situations. And so the guidance definitely, you know, it, if you're someone who has never, um, you're someone who's been raised in a way where adults tended to shame or hit, or instead of really stepping into curiosity and try to guide, this is going to feel new. And it's going to feel like all these different strategies that you've never heard or considered or seen or experienced. And it's going to look like that's, it's going to sound and probably feel a little awkward at first because you're learning something new and that takes time and knowing that your that the goal isn't to be perfect all the time the goal is to improve i say avoid being a perfectionist being improvingist um improve 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 just a little bit of a little improvements um every day can have a huge impact um, and don't get caught up in not being perfect right now. It's not about, there is no destination. It's, it's about the process, not the product. It's about the journey, right? And so really kind of focusing on that journey for yourself and whoever you're guiding. And then the trust piece, trust that people are trying their best, that that child is trying their best in the, in the moment with the resources they have and the knowledge and the skills that they have access to in that moment. They're trying their best, just like you as a teacher or as a parent, you're trying your best too. Now we're going to fall short sometimes. Yes, but that is a part of the learning process, just like it is for them. It is for us too. So know that everyone's trying their best and trust that you know, people are doing their best. We operate so much in fear um, in, 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 in early childhood, in, in parenthood. Fear tends to be a driver for a lot of decisions that we make. And those often aren't our best decisions. Um, so I say, you know, opt out of fear and opt in of opt into trust. I love that. I love the visual of being in the dark room. And I think it applies to all relationships in life, you know, with your partner or your significant other, your yes. children, your students, the people on your team who you're collaborating with or mentoring. Um, because I think about behavior in this way. So often a child will act out or do something that's seen as a quote unquote behavior. And people are just so quick to try to squash the behavior and not really looking to understand where it came from or what the child was feeling or experiencing before the behavior happens. Yeah. And yeah. that's really a big thing on our campus in particular. So all of our kids here have a communication challenge or learning differences. And when you have trouble communicating, being able to use any sort of verbal communication to talk about your feelings is 10 times more difficult. And so it usually comes out as seen as behavior. Do you have any tips for parents on how to get into a place of curiosity? Because it, it doesn't always come completely natural. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Um, one, the, the cliche behaviors, communication, behaviors, communication, behaviors, communication. It's so true, especially, you know, talking on this podcast where, you know, they're not, they're not going to say, um, excuse me, mom, or excuse me, teacher. I am feeling a little overwhelmed by the lights in the room, the, the loud noises, and it's, I'm overstimulated and I need to do something with that uh, energy. I need to do something with that. And so that's why I'm running around and, and pushing and hurting. Like, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for my behavior. Uh, maybe we can come together and, and work on a plan so that we can, so everyone can meet their needs. Uh, you know, they're, no like, yeah, right. Life would be a lot easier if, if they did have those skills. Right. But we you know the important thing is that that they are saying those things, but it's a lot more muffled, right? And they're giving us clues a lot of the times. A lot of times I will say like, cause children, even children who can uh, speak, you know, fairly well, like sometimes like they're giving you clues. They're not ex- always, when they say something, it's not always exactly the way that we interpret it to like, we have this adult lens. And so a child will say something and, what will come up for us is all these like triggers, right? And like one of the really kind of uh, a really like example that I think everyone will kind of resonate with is anytime a child talks about like guns um, or, uh, and and we will, or even play guns, right? And we will see that as like, oh, like they're going to be, a school shooter, like this is a potential school shooter situation because we have all of that like baggage built up. And so we get triggered in a different way. And the child's just trying to do a little bit of power play. He's just trying to feel powerful in his role, like a, like a Batman or Superman. And the gun just happens to be this superpower for that play moment. And so just really one, uh, behaviors, communication, and and it, they're giving, they're dropping clues all the time of what's happening internally. To more uh, accurately answer your question, more specifically, um, how to step into curiosity. What stops us from stepping into curiosity is a lot of times that that fear and those being triggered, right? Those emotions. And then, because sometimes we'll go into an emotional state or in a survival mode. And from that place where you know, you are triggered into survival mode. You're asking yourself different questions, right? You may be saying or thinking this behavior must be punished, right? If you're in a survival state, if you're in an emotional state, you're more likely to, to say, uh, you know, this behavior must be stopped, right? But when we are able to step into what conscious discipline calls an, ex- an executive state into that kind of brain state, and we can do that by practicing by regulating ourselves, breathing and other things that we can do. I'll talk about that in just a second. But when we're able to step into this, into curiosity and be, be a little bit more regulated, then we're more likely to ask, how can I help this child? How can this child be helped? And that's the place where we can actually be helpful, actually understand the child and not just judge because a lot of times yeah, we'll just judge and we don't, 
we don't end up seeing or understanding where the behavior is coming from, where they're communicating. So they keep on doing the behavior, or maybe we will, we will try to stop the behavior with a reward or a punishment. And we miss out on a huge opportunity for learning, an opportunity to learn about, um, about, about feelings, about how to advocate for ourselves, about how to get our toy back, right? We just reward or punish to, to not hit. That child still doesn't have their toy back. And this, what we want to teach that child to get their toy back, right? We want to teach the child to, to advocate for themselves, to meet their needs. We want to teach those skills because what, because what will end up happening is we might stop that behavior, but that like underlying thing is still there and another behavior will pop up and we won't, we're going to be playing whack-a-mole as opposed to really actually helping the child um, and really making progress towards towards what you know the little example that i gave you know like excuse me like i'm feeling i'm i'm experiencing uh frustration um like and 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 i'm feeling overwhelmed when you took my toy will you please give it back like obviously your two-year-old three-year-old's not going to say that but over time when we're kind of modeling that kind of communication and working through it with them and understanding what their, you know, problems are and getting it out in the open and working together to collaboratively problem solve, you know, they will be able to say that when they're older, right? When they've had the practice and it's not going to be perfect, right? Just like we're not going to be perfect in practicing and starting to help them with this language, they're not going to be perfect in, in, in applying it. One last thing I want to say, and then I'll pause about how powerful about how powerful language is um and that I, I don't think that like people really understand and and if you don't if there's any doubt in your mind if you have a little sliver of doubt in your mind how powerful modeling language is and how powerful the language you use around children if you have any doubt in your mind your your teacher your parent next time you go in the classroom what i want you to do is to start uh start dropping cuss words start dropping the f bomb start dropping the sh bomb and see if if <laughs> some of those kids don't pick up on that language right see if some of those mm-hmm. words aren't repeated now of course obviously i would not really recommend anyone actually do that i'll say that out loud if y'all didn't get that <laughs> i'm joking but the the point is that you would never do that because us as adults recognize the power of the language that we use around children and, and how impactful that is when it comes to the net with like negative language, language that we don't want them to use, but we're not as mindful or as aware of the language that we can use in a positive way, the healthy language that we can use around them that can have just as much of an impact in the other direction. You said about the fear often kind of triggering that emotional response. And I think that really resonates because many of our families and parents and myself, when I'm out with my kids, often if they're having some sort of quote behavior, the fear is that if I stop and am calm and use it as a teaching moment, that I'm going to be seen as like weak or like a parent who lets their kids walk all over them, air quotes all over all of that. And then in the long run, my kids are going to turn out to be like soft and, and not have the skills. And it seems like you're flipping it and saying, no, instead, I'm going to teach them the skills young 
so that they have them when they're adults. Do you yes. have any like words of support for parents as we're trying to get over that like judge feeling? I think there, there are a lot of things that can be said about this kind of like narrative or this kind of thought. One thing I'll say is you mentioned permissive parenting that mm-hmm. you know, what I'm describing is not permissive parenting, right? It, per, per, you know, you still have boundaries, right? It's not, it's not, it's not that you're letting them do whatever they want. It's that you're letting them feel, you know, what they want and you're helping them work through it and you're helping them understand that and you're helping them, you're helping them, you know, regulate their emotions so that they can make choices, not just driven blindly by emotion, but all, but understanding it, not just ignoring it. You know, traditionally what we will do is ignore, ignore emotions or not really, you know, will either run away from, teach children to run away from their emotions or to shove them all down, right? Never to actually deal or acknowledge them. And, you know, uh, if you're, if you want to do more reading, if you're someone who is, this is somewhat new to you, haven't done a lot of reading on it, I would recommend, you know, I had recommend a couple of books. I'll just name a, a few. Um, Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline by Dr. Becky Bailey is really great for uh, parents. Um, and No no Drama Discipline, Tina Payne Bryson is also another great one. Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson have written a lot of great books together. They talk about this in depth. And there are many, many, many more books that that, that talk about it. Um, and, and what we have kind of learned to do, a lot of us who grew up with this more traditional parenting style of, uh, you know, parents who kind of, you know, would say, you know, you're fine, get over it. Um, It's not a big deal, just dismissing emotions. What ends up happening is that, that we become more disconnected from our emotions because emotions are messages from the body, right? And what ends up happening is we become adults who, you know, who don't know how to take breaks, who don't know how to take care of ourselves um, because, or who don't know how to, you know, who don't make decisions based off of what they internally know is important. Right. Because we know, like, you know, you say like, Oh, like we're afraid that like, the stranger on the street is going to judge us. And like, we know that our relationship with our child is more important than uh, the judgment of a stranger on the street, but we're so disconnected from, you know, our true core values and what's important to us that we will give up what we know is important for, you know, to appease someone else's a stranger's judgment. Right. Um, and, this is what we're modeling and teaching children a lot of the times when we're out in public and we're so worried about everyone else and not we're just being present in the moment like that child is having often a really emotional experience having a really hard time and I I think a lot of times we don't see because we're so wrapped up in the judgment that we don't we're not seeing our child at all you know we're not seeing that they're really struggling in this moment and we're not really understanding that we're taking the time to. And so that just exacerbates the issue. Um, um, and, you know, the one really good example of kind of out, that happens out in public is the store, right? And, you know, I tell people, we don't realize that we put 
we we put children in a lot of challenging situations for them, right? You know, we struggle with going into the store and not impulse buying, right? How many memes have you seen about like, you know, you go into Target, you go into Costco, you come out with everything, right? I'm just going for one thing, right? We as adults struggle with that. And the struggle that we have with it have with it isn't by accident. The people who create these you know, stores, they set up the stores to trigger our impulses, right? And not just adult, they intentionally try to trigger your child's impulses too. And your child's brain is not fully developed. Like that part that is that that prefrontal cortex that's not fully developed till 25, 26. It's really not developed when they're three, four, and five. But that like, but, you know, but that impulse is still there, right? That advertisement that they've been being fed to, you know, for you know the past you know month or whatever, and they go and see the store and they see that thing, you know, that's a really difficult moment for them, right? And there's some things that we can do to help them, right? We can make a list ahead of time and talk about what we're going to get. We can model, you know, our own impulse control. Ooh, I want that, but it's not on the list. We'll try, we'll try again another time, right? And that's not to say that they're not still going to have an emotion, that they're not still going to have feelings, because even when we say we're going to get one thing, we still have feelings about not getting, about not getting that one thing. And on top of the thing, I know I'm going a lot into the store thing, but like when you think about it, like people, when people, we ask people about like, why did you, uh, why is this, why is the money so important? for you because I wasn't able to have things, right? And it's not, it's usually a lot of times people aren't talking about just, people aren't always talking about just the bare minimum. Now, there are definitely a lot of people like, I just want to be able to have the bare minimum. And, but there are a lot of times people will go into whole professions just so that they can have more stuff, right? That you, that more than just the bare minimum. And so you think about how much adults struggle and how much adults want these things from like the stores and want to be able to afford and buy them and to go in that store and take them home. And then you put a child in the world for the, you know, first time having this experience with all the advertisement and, and, and having that, that, that Paw Patrol beanie baby just well lit right at eye level, right next to the can where you have to stop. At the like, checkout, yep. Yeah, right at checkout along with like the candy that's super shiny that they've done a lot of research on. Like I had a friend who used to work at um, a really big uh, uh, food chain and you know, we would talk all the time, like there's a lot of thought that goes into it and a lot of research that goes into it and they will adjust, they will observe and they'll go back to the drawing board and be like, ah, we didn't get them good enough, right? Let's try, how can we get the, right? And so just, and that's, and what I'm talking about, like this is that whole story thing. That's what I'm talking about in the seeing department, right? Seeing first, right? To be helpful for the child in the, you know, in the mo in the moment and long-term dealing with that situation of going into the store and, and controlling their, and controlling their impulses and navigating their emotions. First, we have to see what, what that struggle is, right? We could also probably do, you know, we also may identify once we're kind of like seeing it better, we're able, so many more solutions pop up on how to guide and actually that they're specific to this child, this moment, this situation, right? Maybe it's, ooh, someone's listening like, ooh, you know, the advertisements, like, 
we do watch a lot of TV with a lot of advertisements and ooh, like not to say that we're never going to do like screen time, but maybe we'll just do, maybe we'll do streaming services because it's less advertisement heavy, right? And so you start to come up with, once you see, once you're able to, once you, once you are actually seeing you're in that place of curiosity and, and really observing and really reflecting and thinking about it, and sometimes it's helpful to talk about it with a partner, with a co-teacher or with your, you know, husband or wife or partner, whoever it is, whoever your, whoever your, whoever your partner is with this child because, um, um, or, or community. And once you're seeing the guidance is come so much more, you're in a easily, you're in a better position to guide. But I'm glad you brought back up the C. Um, I love your three steps, the C guide trust, but back to the C and um, you know, some of them are really obvious, like the child wants the toy or the child wants the candy, but what are some other ways that people can really get down to what the root of the issue is? What are some other ways for some people? It might not come so naturally to really, especially if they're disconnected from their own emotions and feelings. Um, what are some ways that parents or teachers can try to really dig to get to the root of what they're seeing and what they're observing and what the behavior is a result of? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really helpful to have someone who uh, uh, is knowledgeable about children and has, you know, that, that has, can help you identify some patterns. Cause there's a lot of things that I, a lot of, you know, one behavior could be communicating an, an array of different things, right? A child hitting, it might not be that they want their toy back. It might be, you know, something that they're you know trying to communicate that's overcrowded or, you know, a child biting. It might, you know, yeah, it could be teething, but it could be something else, right? They could be trying to get their toy back, right? And so it, it's helpful that like, if you're really struggling, if you can, you do have the resources to talk to some, a, a professional, um, you know, coaching is really great. Um, so you can kind of get like individualized help, but also teachers are your part. Like if you're a parent, teachers are your, are your partners too. If you're a teacher, parents are your partner too. Um, and, and, and so, having that kind of knowledge is really helpful is a very good helpful piece knowing child development very because a lot of times we, we like do things that are like developmentally like not appropriate for children and we just don't know that you know we don't know like you should be able to wait my parents had me wait and i remember having to do it for a long time i was suffering and i hated it and that's why i remember but <laughs> you know and I, was, I was being threatened with a belt or whatever the case was um and so like, that is a really helpful thing to do. But outside of that, like when you're in the moment, really just pausing, like the, like the importance, like there's like an art to like the pause, right? And in that pause, on the outside, it may look like you're doing nothing or may look like, or even like if you're, and this is why you should be really slow to judge others out in public and like, oh, they're not doing anything. Like they might be pausing and doing a lot of things first before they do what they need, figure out what they need to do, right? Because one, recognizing our own feelings, our, our own emotions, because we're often, if you're in this situation, you're, you're likely 
triggered and having emotions yourself, right? Um, and different people have different triggers. So identifying your triggers ahead of time is always helpful. Um, so you know going into a situation that you're likely going to be triggered so you can kind of already, you can be conscious and aware of where you're at in, a, in the state that you're at so that you can kind of navigate that in a healthy way, not just be driven by your triggers. So pause, breathe, that will help your body like start to regulate. There's a lot of science behind breathing. And I very much believe that breathing is a practice. So it's something to get better at. Um, and I would very much practice breathing in the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, just practice breathing in the nose, out of the mouth. I try not to overcomplicate it for people because there's a lot of different ways you can breathe. But just the important thing is that your out breath is longer than your in breath um, and, you know, through the nose, out the mouth. And I won't even do any, throw any numbers at you because you might not even remember in the moment, just in through the nose, out through the mouth, out breath longer. And that's it. Simple. Um, but it is a practice. A mantra during the pause is really helpful. One of my favorite ones is your child's not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Um, that's something that's partially helpful for me, but I, I also think it's good to kind of connect your mantras with your triggers and kind of know what your triggers are and know what mantras are really helpful for you because we all have these different messages that we receive and we've been conditioned with growing up that are impacting us uh, sometimes consciously, but often unconsciously in these moments. Um, and sometimes you hear, right, you know, I can, when we say things like, you know, I wouldn't gone away with it. That's likely your unconscious is showing like your, like your conditioning is, is, is showing. Um, and so, you know, it's important to know that about ourselves, right? And to acknowledge what you're feeling. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling judged. I'm feeling whatever you're feeling or acknowledge that. And, and because another kind of Dan Siegel, Tina Green Bryson thing is name entertainment, right? Um, and so just the, 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 the practice of acknowledging it out loud, what that emotion is, will help you better navigate it and help you better, you know, control it and not just blindly react with it. Um, and kind of in this process of pausing, you're, you're, you're regulating yourself so you can be in a better state so that your nervous system is in a, in a, an executive state in a regulated state, because, What's really hard about all of this, because what I'm saying is, I don't even think I'm making it sound easy, but it's, it still sounds a lot easier than what it actually is, because we catch each other's emotions, right? Emotional contagion, like we catch each other's emotions. And so, you know, your child is triggered by the not being able to get that Paw Patrol um, candy bar that they've been advertised to for the past six months of their, you know, of their life. And it's right there in hand grasp. They can touch it. Um, and they might be triggered by that and, you know, be really frustrated and acting out their emotions. And then we see that and then we get triggered by their emotion. Now we're frustrated and then we start acting out our emotions and, and our frustrations are like, wait till we get home. How many times do I have, you know, all the things that our parents told us. And so it's important to to be aware of that and to breathe and to not let that control us. Um, or, you know, especially the judgment of other people. If, you know, we were 
given the message when we were young that we weren't enough or worthy, we weren't reaching our potential. Um, you had to, you know, do these accomplishments, become a doctor or a lawyer to get love for me. You had to be quote unquote, uh, uh, you know, obedient, good, whatever, you know, cause good is often for adults is often obedient. Another word for obedient. You say good kid, look, oh, they're really obedient. They listen and they're not, uh, you know, they're a convenience to me. Right. And so, if you're kind of used to chasing that um, approval uh, to, to receive love, and those that's the those are the messages that are conditioned in your body because that's the way you were parented, then it's going to be hard to you know to go against that when you're in the grocery store and you're getting the same messages and you're getting the same judgment, maybe or at least perceived judgment, and your your nervous system, your body's telling you, I need to appease the judgment of these uh, outside people as opposed to internally listening to yourself and the message messages in your body what's in what's what's really important in your core values um that 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 you know to be true when you're when when you're regulated right yeah um yeah, yeah. I, I know we were talking a lot about toddlers and more the early childhood education but i'll tell you in my household where the catching each other's feelings and the dysregulation soars is during homework time Oh my goodness. You know, their frustration then becomes my frustration. And um, so I know it's not specific to the young toddlers and preschoolers. You know, this is obviously happening with older children. And you've already mentioned that your brain's not fully developed till you're 25 or 26. And I know the answer to this, but I feel like I need to ask it. Is it ever too late to change the way that you're disciplined in parenting your children? It's never too late to change. It's about improving. It's it's about so here's the analogy like I like to make. I like to, it's like iPhone generations, right? And you know, I consider kind of this conscious, respectful, you know, like parenting, discipline, teaching. It's they're really innovations and 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 technology and science. And it comes from a lot of innovations in science that we know we know better now. We know a lot more now, right? And that innovation is almost like the first iPhone, right? And most of us grew up and you know, we were parented by, you know, pagers, right? And some of us I maybe were parented by Blackberries, right? And we're kind of our first generation iPhone with, with all this stuff and we're learning through podcasts, through social media, through, you know, Audible and books and all, all the resources we have available, these free conferences that pop up. Um, and so like, we're the first iPhone generation, right? And it's huge in innovation and great pat on your back, like celebrate, like that is a huge accomplishment that you're even, you know, making that big step that you're even making the choice to try to improve and, 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 and grow and learn, you know, for yourself and for your family um, in this way, right? But that's not the end all be all of it, right? You're not going to be perfect. You are going to make mistakes. You're not going to be, you're not the last model. You know, what's going to happen is there's going to be another generation. You're going to do your best, right? And I trust that you're going to do your best. And, and the next generation is going to build off of what 
what you've learned and what you built off of. And then you have the second and then they're going to build off the next one. They're going to build off the next one. And we keep on improving, keep on improving, keep on growing. And, and that's the process, right? And so that never stops, no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you are still, you still feel like you're a pager and like you do, this is this podcast, this episode is the first time you've ever kind of, you know, heard of conscious discipline or conscious parenting or you know, that is okay, right? That is okay. Like celebrate that you're even becoming aware that there is work to be done. There is improvement to be had. Um, because I know traditionally a lot of uh, teachers and parents never even made it there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's never too late. The brain is always changing right? That's just when it's like formed. That's when you're, that's the capacity, but your ability can continue to change and you continue to practice. Uh, the brain is malleable um, throughout your life. So. Yeah. And in thinking about this feeling seen, I can see the really hard tween years and the teen years of needing to be like seen because isn't that what every teenager tells their parents? Like you just don't understand. Yeah, parents just don't <laughs> understand. It's not even just teens though. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, with the emotional contagion and being seen, like I want to say this before, but like, I'm sure you've had the, you know, experience of like, maybe your, you know, a partner has come home from work or for something, or they got filmed with like their parents or something like that. And then like, you know, they're frustrated and they kind of like, maybe they snap at you and then you're like, whoa, wait a second. And you're, st- and now you got a, a feeling, right. And, you know, you want to snap back at them and, you know, where like, uh, I understand the feeling like, and it's not like, it's not that it's like bad. It's just pay attention to it and notice it. And if you want to be helpful for our partner in that moment, where they were, you know, they were triggered by maybe one of their parents or they just came home from a hard day at work or, or, or something, you know, troubles with a friend that we can say, like, okay, we can say, hey, this isn't about me. Like you're struggling with something and we can see them. We can acknowledge them. Like, uh, it sounds like you're really frustrated. Like, sounds like something went on because you wouldn't normally talk to me like that. You know, like, what's up? And now when we, when we respond that way, then what they, you know, tend to be like, okay, like, their defenses start to go down, right? And they start to get a little bit, you know, more regulated. Now we're having conversation and now we're, we're, we're productive, right? As opposed to like, we're like, don't you talk to me like that? And then we snap back and I'm like relentlessly and, and then they snap back and then like the problem never gets fixed. Like no one's ever helped, right? Um, so it's, it's, yeah, this is not just with young kids. This really does apply to all of our relationships. Um, it may, the words may sound different. It may look different in the different stages and different environments that we're, we know that we inhabit, but um, this does apply to all of our relationships. Yeah. I feel like you just described my house yesterday. After both of my kids came home from hard days at school and I had work and then my husband came home from long meetings and he was grumpy. And finally, I just had to step back and be like, everybody's grumpy. It's not about me. And then at the end of the day, I got everybody calm. I looked at my husband and I was like, I got to tap out for bedtime because I've been co-regulating far too long. (laughs) (laughs) And I just need like five minutes to let it out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. It is. It's exhausting and it's a practice and it's, you know, and I'm not perfect at it. And it's exhausting when you don't do it either, either way. It's, it, I mean, emotions are exa- like, you know, they're energy in motion. So like it is, 
you know, they're, they're running a lot. Um, so it's exhausting whether you're co-regulating or you're yelling back. I find both things exhausting and I've been there yelling back and afterwards I don't feel better about myself. I, I, you know, that's not the person who I want to be. Um, and so there's that. So I choose to do they, even if they're the same amount of energy of exhausting, I'm going to choose to be the person that I want to be. Um, and it's really about last thing I'll say, um, you know, it's really at the root of all this. It's about caring for yourself so that you can care for others. Um, and, and it's about self-control and it's not that you're, when you have, you use kind of these skills and you are able to care for yourself in a healthy way and setting boundaries and being assertive is a part of caring for yourself, you know, having empathy for yourself. So you have empathy for others, like you will have a greater influence than when you try to just control everyone. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Usually we ask at the end of the podcast, our guests to give like one piece of advice, but I feel like you already did it. Unless you have something else to say, like that wrap up was beautiful. Yeah. Let's end it there. Let's just end it there. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and energy and expertise. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And I hope to help some people out there. And if you guys want one-on-one coaching with me, you can get that at www.patreon.com forward slash Mr. Chaz. I'm on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, free content all the time. I have a podcast where I introduce you to other people who can help you. You can kind of build a community around you. You know, I've had SLPs on, I've had OTs, I've had, I've had, I've had many, many people with a variety of different experiences on um, all in the pursuit to help you on your journey. Yeah, and we'll put links to all of that in our our show notes too. Yeah, we'll make sure everyone can find you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. This has been great. All right, yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Unbabbled Podcast. For more information on today's episode, please see our episode description. For more information on the Parish School, visit parishschool.org. If you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the Unbabbled Podcast on your app of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave a rating and review. A special thank you to Stig Daniels, Amanda Arnold, and Stella Limwell for all their hard work behind the scenes. Thanks again for listening.